Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bailey is tracked down for a short loss. Shamarco Thomas. It's like a missile. It's a heat-seeking missile to the football. Charles finding someone, directing his body, and trying to run through that person. An explosive safety. For some programs, maybe doesn't mean as much. For this Syracuse program, it means a lot. What's up, Syracuse fans? It's episode three of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. We are coming to you after... One of the weirdest football games I have seen in recent years and a not so great outcome for you folks, Syracuse Orange fans. Syracuse falls 17 to 7 to Rutgers in the home opener. Before we get into breaking down Syracuse versus Rutgers, it's that time of year again and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all of the updated odds, props, and contests, including Online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest, the world's largest 200,000 NFL survivor contest, open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And as we break this all down, Shamarco, the first thing I want to talk about is I want to start with with some positives, right? Because we know there's there's a lot of things to harp on with that game, a lot of negative things from that game. But let's start with the positives. First thing is the fans back in the dome. Um, it wasn't a full arena, but the fans that were there, whether it was 20,000 butts in seats, 25, whatever it was, the fans that were there were into it. They were loud. They were making themselves a factor. They clearly rattled the Rutgers offense at different points. Um, from watching on television, your thoughts on the fans, the atmosphere, and, and just how how nice it was to have a little bit of normalcy and having the fans back in the dome and cheering on their team. No, it was a great environment, football environment, excitement. I know the players were excited to have that type of environment. Defense showed it, you know what I'm saying? It was playing hands down one of the best. I've seen against Rutgers offense to tell later on in the game. So definitely the, the fans came in and made it count. Yes, and being there um, in the press box, it was it was awesome just from the get-go when Rutgers is coming out of the tunnel and the fans are booing them and the Rutgers fans are trying to out-cheer the Syracuse fans. The student section at Syracuse was, was very lively in this game, uh, booing bad calls, cheering when good plays happen, all of those things. Um, it was fun to have, to have that back in the carrier dome. Yes, but sir. from an on-the-field, in-game perspective, <clears throat> the main positive in this game was a second straight really strong eff- effort from the defense. Um, and, and I want to start with you, Shamarco, on that, what you saw from the Orange defense, their 3-3-5, and what they, they were able to do against Rutgers. 
Man, honestly, they was getting the pressure. It seemed like they knew their scheme, man. Even, man, they was always in the backfield. I was loving to see a number three, number zero. All them boys was making big-time plays, sacks on the quarterback. You know what I'm saying? The quarterback couldn't get comfortable. I felt like they made plays on, you know what I'm saying, errors. I feel like the defense, at like, third or fourth quarter, you get tired. You know what I'm saying? Your offense ain't scoring. You're on the field 24-7. That's what I call it, 24-7, because you're out there all the time. Your legs ain't getting to recover. And they made a couple of mistakes, but man, hands down, man, they played a good game. Good game. I can't say great because I think they lost, but I like the way they played with the effort and passion, man. And the little mental errors that made them slip up and workers capitalized on. And number three, who you mentioned is Mikel Jones, starting middle linebacker. He was actually named ACC linebacker of the week for his performance. Oh. In that game, 11 tackles, two and a half for loss. Really strong game from him. Made a stop on fourth down in the backfield as well. They were just flying around all over the field. And as you said, getting in the backfield, the pass rush I thought was much better in this game than it was in week one. Uh, I think they had three or four sacks in this game. So the fact that, that they were able to combine a strong run defense, which we saw against Ohio, they took it up to another level in this game. I think Rutgers only averaged 1.2 yards per carry in this one, kept them to around 50 yards rushing in total. The fact that they were able to combine that with the pass rush and, and getting into the backfield, pressuring the Rutgers quarterback, recording those sacks, putting them in second and long, third and long situations. And then when they had a short field, you know, as as a defensive player, when when the offense turns it over or there's there was a blocked punt on the very first Syracuse possession, Rutgers starts with the ball deep in Syracuse territory, and the defense steps up, pushes them back far enough to get him out of field goal range, or forces a missed field goal. Those can be big momentum turners in a game, regardless of how this ended up turning out. It's it was encouraging if you're watching this from afar and where things are going. I think seeing the defense step up in those situations, because as the season goes along, you're going to get into those situations where you're not just making a stop in the first quarter to try to keep momentum on your side. It's going to be third quarter, fourth quarter in a one score game. And whether or not you can get a stop is going to determine the outcome. So how important do you think that is going forward for, for this team to be able to come up big in those situations? It definitely is going to help them, man. Defense, I feel like they're going to, like I went, when I was at Syracuse, defense runs the team. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't want to say it like that, but man, I definitely see the swag on the defense, man. They got a confidence mentality. And I feel like any adversity or any situation, man, they can hold it down. You know, I, I'll just say, man, it's hard to hold a team to four quarters, you know what I'm saying, without scoring. But man, I like the way they was playing out there with the dudes down the side. And like I said, in any situation, they was ready to go out there and ball out and stop the Rutgers offense. I want to specifically highlight Garrett Williams as well. I know he went out with an injury. Um, his status is a little bit up in the air, though Dino Baber seemed to think it's it's not a long-term thing and he's going to do everything he can to play this week. But, you know, you want to make sure he's good to go for the week after against Liberty. But early in the game, the one thing I noticed was Bo Melton, who is Rutgers' number one receiver, and supposed to be an NFL prospect, and he could not get open on Garrett Williams. Every time they threw his way, Garrett was all over him, and taking away an offense's number one weapon is such a huge, huge deal, and you've got a guy in Garrett Williams who can do that. You've got a guy on the other side in Deuce Chestnut who's shown uh, flashes and that he's got the potential to possibly do that. 
I, I just think Garrett's performance when he was out there, it, it just shows why he's a legitimate first round NFL draft pick prospect. There's a good, I told you last week, man, I think they receiver that they RDB is going to match up against their receivers, man. I just wish they would have brought out the win, man. Kudos to them locking down the first round receiver and showing that their, their ability, like I said, I feel like our DBs are more athletic than a lot of people in, in their division. And I feel like they're going to keep proving that and they're going to get more turnovers and stuff, especially with that pass rush up front. That was the one thing that they didn't do was they didn't get the turnover. If, if you're going to have any negative or any, um, you know, criticism of the defense, it was that they didn't get that, that turnover uh, to kind of change momentum or, um, you know, you look at it the other way. Rutgers got a turnover when Syracuse was driving on them. Syracuse couldn't get one when Rutgers was driving on the orange defense. That was the one big thing. Syracuse lost a turnover battle and because of that um, ended up losing the game, but let's switch from that positive to some negative things over on the offensive side of the ball. Shamarco, I, I don't know where you want to start, but I'll just, I'll just open the floor to you wherever you want to go with whatever that was offensively for Syracuse. It was just, I didn't understand the uh, swap with the quarterbacks and stuff. And I give quarterbacks a respect, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? We all have tough games. You know, I don't like to be negative because I know how football is, but it was a rough game, man. Rutgers was keeping the pressure on them as Syracuse defense was getting the sacks and all that stuff. Rutgers defense was doing the same and uh, creating havoc in the backfield. Man, quarterbacks couldn't get a rhythm. I seen quarterbacks running all over the place. Even the play when uh, the quarterback scrambling through the police in the number three, he had to scramble out of the pocket and make that happen. So, Rutgers did their jobs, kudos, and they got the turnover, and uh, our offense needed to get back to work. <laughs> Absolutely. The offensive line had some issues, um, especially on the interior uh, on, on a few occasions. They ran the ball well early and then kind of went through through a stretch where they sit, didn't seem to be able to run it at all, then went away from the run for a while. But we'll get into some of that. I want to highlight something that you mentioned with the QB swap. Syracuse... Tommy DeVito started the game for Syracuse and played the first three possessions offensively. And on those first three possessions, they had a first down on the first drive and then ended up having to punt on the next two drives. The second drive specifically, he's Syracuse offense is, is going, they're running the ball. They're throwing the ball. He completes a pass on third down to Taj Harris, which is going to give Syracuse a first down around the Rutgers five yard line. And he goes down and as he's going down, Rutgers rips the ball out of his hands. They call a fumble on the field and Rutgers recovers it. They review it. They determine that it, the play stands and Rutgers gets the ball. The next possession after that, we'll get to that call later. Cause we are going to talk about the officials. So don't worry about that. <laughs> um, and for those who follow me on social media, I am notorious for ripping and criticizing officials. It's one of my things. Um, so don't worry, we will get plenty of shots in on that, but the next possession after the fumble Syracuse was moving the ball again and had a 12 yard run by Sean Tucker down to the Rutgers 25. When Luke Benson was called for holding that pushed him back into first and long and the drive stalled there. But the point is they were moving the ball. They were getting first downs. And then after those three possessions, that was when they decided to bring in Garrett Schrader. And Schrader, after three drives of Tommy DeVito, where you didn't go three and out on any of them, goes three and out 
on the first two. And that's not necessarily a criticism of Schrader. I just think it's very difficult to come in in the middle of that situation and then try to pick up like you're in rhythm when you've been playing for, you know, almost the full quarter, quarter and a half. I, I didn't understand at that point why the move was made, mainly because DeVito was not playing poorly. He was playing well. He might not have been playing unbelievable, but he was playing well. The offense was moving the ball. It didn't make any sense to me. You're the football guy, so if there's something I'm not seeing, correct me. Coach is impatient. <laughs> no disrespect to the coaches, man. Like I've seen it in the pros. Ben Roethlisberger might not be good for the first three series, man. You got to let them catch their rhythm. Everybody's going to come out firing and throwing, and I feel like that's what throwing them off, man. You can't swap a quarterback and take his confidence away like that and then put somebody else in. That's been on the sideline. You know what I'm saying? He might have been prepared to get in the game, but he wasn't because at the end of the day, the Vito was a starting quarterback. And uh, I feel like they should have left him in. You know what I'm saying? Let the, let the Vito get his momentum and, man, get his confidence up, get some throws in, get some dumps in. You know what I'm saying? I feel like the first three series weren't his fault. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why I think it's based on the coaches. You know what I'm saying? They they got impatient and they was eager to get points on the board and realized it's not that this other quarterback, and no disrespect to the other quarterback, he wasn't, I wouldn't say he wasn't ready, but he wasn't warmed up. He wasn't, I can't say he wasn't prepared. I don't know how he practiced and I don't know how to do the situation, but it should let the Beatles get his rhythm and ball out. I feel like he would have done better if he had got his rhythm, you know what I'm saying, the next series and capitalize on the things he needed to, you know what I'm saying? Like you said, they got away from the run, you know what I'm saying, the RPOs and all that stuff. And I feel like they got him back in his zone. He just started dumping the defense to fall for the runs, and then they could have played action and done all that type of stuff. So they should have kept the video on the game. Yeah, we highlighted in, in week one in, in uh, our first episode recapping the, the Ohio win. Don't go was how well Tommy DeVito was, uh, how well he was performing and the decisions he was making on the RPO action. And they didn't do a lot of RPOs in this game. They did a couple of times early and it seemed to work. He actually ran the ball pretty well. Um, he actually, if you don't count his sacks, ran the ball for 43 yards. And then the sacks, you know, he, he was sacked five times and, and that pushed his rushing numbers down a little bit. But he was running the ball well on those RPO situations, as was Sean Tucker. And, and they not only went away from that, but back to your point on on quarterback rhythm, right? So you take Tommy DeVito out and you bring in Garrett Schrader. Well, now he's also not afforded the opportunity to get into rhythm. There, there are quarterbacks, as you mentioned, with Ben Roethlisberger, he could struggle for three, three series, four series. Then he gets hot, and for the next two and a half quarters, you can't stop him. Yeah. Well, neither DeVito nor Garrett Schrader, we're not saying either of those guys are Ben Roethlisberger. We know Ben Roethlisberger is an NFL Hall of Famer yeah. and all of those things. But, um, you don't get the opportunity to do that. If you're DeVito, right as you're getting into rhythm, right as you're in rhythm, you get taken out and that disrupts your rhythm. So when you come back in later, you don't you still have that. Your confidence, you know, absolutely. You the and they take you out, you know what I'm saying? And not giving you rhythm, it probably run down his confidence. You know what I'm saying? He's looking at the coaches different. He's wondering what's going on. And that's not a good as a coach, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're giving up on me, you know what I'm saying? And it's, I feel like the coach had to be more patient, man. Let him get his rhythm and go out there and ball, man. Let him be the leader that he wants to be. You know what I'm saying? Create the plays that he did last week. Like you said, they got away from the RPOs, man. Why go away from your strengths? And and Schrader, he comes in 
goes three and out on the, on back-to-back possessions. Then on his third possession, actually drives them down, gets them oh, into yeah. field goal range, right? So now he's starting to get into a little bit of rhythm right before halftime. And the second half starts and you put DeVito back in. So now you've got the same situation in reverse. The, the, the other quarterback comes in, starts to get into rhythm, and then you take him out. So now you've got to restart trying to get back into rhythm, and they never really could quite get there. They had that quick drive right after Rutgers scored where they went 50-yard bomb to Taj Harris, 24-yard run to Sean Tucker. But other than that, that quick little run. burst – that was that was a fantastic run. <laughs> Other than that quick little burst of, you know, two to three plays, they never had really had any rhythm the whole rest of the game. And I think that going back and forth at the quarterback position played a large part of that. But to another point that you made, the running game. Sean Tucker ran for 24 yards for the touchdown to tie the game at seven in the third quarter. And as you mentioned, that was a fantastic run. It was, he, he got right through the line to the second level, made a guy miss and then ran into the end zone. The dome is going crazy. Uh, the, the team is all pumped up. You think maybe the personal foul they called on Babers gave them the spark that they needed. Yes, we will get to that personal foul. <laughs> but Sean Tucker did not have a single carry the rest of the game, a quarter and a half. He's your best offensive player. How does he not get a single carry when the game, even though Syracuse got three and out on the next possession defensively, you get the ball right back after you just scored. You don't give the ball to Tucker. Then Rutgers goes down and scores on the next possession. It's still a one score game and he still doesn't get the ball. How does Sean Tucker only touch the ball 13 times in this game? That's when the coaches panic. Like you said, it was only down by one touchdown. After they Rutgers scored on that first series with the running back, they scored back. So I don't know why they panicked. You know what I'm saying? So that's basically on the coaches, man. I feel like they got out coached. Simply, they just got out coached. Yeah, and I think uh, I think they would admit that as well. But for the rest of the season, give the ball to Sean Tucker. He's good at football. Run RPO. What RPO. Strength, do it. Yes, and I understand. The, the, listen, the Dino Babers offense has a reputation of throwing the ball over the field, up-tempo, quick screens, and then working right now. that to go downfield <laughs> and et cetera. But we saw in week one against Ohio where they ran the ball over the place. We saw at different spurts when they were focusing on the run and specifically the RPO in week two. I think they should be an RPO slash power running team. And then you pass off of play action off of that. And you don't make the passing game, the primary focus of your offense. That's my take from seeing this team in the first two weeks. If it ain't broken, don't stop. It's not broken. Right. And if, if you think that this Syracuse team is looking for an identity offensively, I think that can be an identity that the team gets behind. I think the town would get behind it. Seeing that power workman-like offense with the, uh, you know, just three three yards in a cloud of dust, so to speak, uh, <laughs> a little bit of, a little bit of that, and then the RPO and with Tommy as much criticism as he gets with his decision making throwing the ball, he has seemingly always made good decisions when he goes RPO, right? So you've got a quarterback who is comfortable doing that. 
he is, he does have the capability of making plays with his legs, even if he's not an Eric Dungy type of quarterback, but he can make plays with his legs. So he can keep a defense honest and it takes full advantage of your best offensive player and Sean Tucker and putting more and more pressure on the opposing defense. I think the RPO needs to be the focal point of the offense going forward the rest of the season. You got a good, you got a good quarterback that makes, like you said, make a great RPO decision. You got a great running back that can break at any time. Why stop? It's like, if you know your personnel, take advantage of your personnel. Go to your strength. That's like, I don't want to compare them to Lamar Jackson. Like That's like uh, Lamar Jackson going to the Patriots and playing pro style. No, Belichick will adjust and go to the RPOs, his style type to win the game. And I feel like that's what the coach you got to understand, man. You got to see your personnel and what's your strengths and adjust to them, not to y'all and what y'all think that's the best. I feel like just to your players because they're the ones out there playing the game. And defensively, it seems like that they're doing that. And um, I'll I'll bring in those who know me also know I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. So I'll bring in a little Philadelphia Eagles into this discussion. Just <laughs> Congratulations on your W. <laughs> That's right. They did. Uh, they won 32 to 6 over Atlanta. Humble brag right there. But um, <laughs> one, of, one of the interesting notes that I, that I heard during the broadcast of that game was um, the announcers were, were mentioning their discussion with the Eagles defensive coordinator. And asking him about, you know, what is your style? What is your system? What are you planning to run? And he says, I don't have one. I have to see what personnel I have first. And then I determine what I'm going to run off of that. Now, I get that everyone has a system, right? You have a system and a philosophy and things that you believe in. But you have to tailor that a little bit to what you have. I think defensively, Syracuse has done that. They have taken advantage of the fact that they have really athletic linebackers. They have really strong cover corners and then they've got some solid defensive linemen who can eat up blocks take up space and get into the backfield at times and they they use those um, strengths and they rotate their defensive linemen to keep them fresh and keep the pressure on offensively I don't know that this is a team that is going to be a throw the ball 35 40 times a game type of a team to be successful I think if they run the ball 35 40 times a game and use a lot of that RPO action, as we mentioned, we're going to keep harping on it until they do it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then I, I think that's what the identity of this team can be. I still think they're trying to figure that out, but going forward, that's kind of my biggest takeaway from this is I think that's, that's where they need to to go moving forward. RPO, RPO, then play action, man. Work your strengths, man. DeVito, I feel like he's a great player. I still don't, I still don't, I still got faith in him, man. I just don't understand why the coach is just taking him out of his strength. Man. Let him use his strength and let Tucker use his strength to advantage and so y'all can win these games. Because if y'all get literally, if they would have scored a couple more points, man, and made a field goal, defense is going to stay style. You know what I'm saying? So, reality, like I said, I put down the coaches. Tommy DeVito finished 15 for 26 with one interception, was sacked five times. Offensive line had some struggles there for sure. Uh, Rutgers is, we know Greg Schiano is, is a good defensive coach and, and he certainly dialed up some pressure packages that, that confused Syracuse a little bit, especially in the latter stages of the game. Sean Tucker, as we mentioned, only 13 carries, 54 yards, and that really nice 24-yard touchdown run. Um Taj Harris, eight catches, 122 yards. He had a really nice game. Um, he did have a couple of drops in there that I think he'd like to have back, and and he would be the first to admit that. Um, but the play for Taj Harris that is getting the most attention among Syracuse fans and uh, especially on social media <laughs> is the fumble 
on Syracuse's second possession. So Syracuse's first possession, they get their punt blocked, and Rutgers gets the ball deep in Syracuse territory. Syracuse is able to defensively get a stop, push them backwards, get them out of field goal range. They get the ball back. On this possession, Syracuse is moving the ball. They're running. They're throwing. They've they've got things going. They end up with a third and eight deep in Rutgers territory. And Tommy DeVito throws a quick tunnel screen to Taj Harris. Harris makes a guy miss, runs towards about the five-yard line or so, and he gets hit right about that five-yard line. So it would have been um, about an eight- or nine-yard gain. He was right at the marker or just past the marker. So it, it likely would have been a first down. At worst case, would have been fourth and inches. And the ball pops out late. Rutgers jumps on it. Rutgers gets up, and they're claiming that they've got possession of the ball. I was watching it live in the press box. I didn't get a chance to see the broadcast at that point, and the Dome didn't really show us any replays, but I did go back and rewatch after the fact. But watching it live, it looked like Taj Harris's knees both hit the ground, and as the front uh, portion of his body from his torso up was going to the ground, the Rutgers guy reached in and did the yank motion to try to strip the ball out, and he did. The ball popped out, but both of Taj Harris's knees were already on the ground. The officials huddled and were discussing what had just happened because they looked completely confused when Rutgers got up with the ball. They had no idea the ball had even popped out. They clearly had no idea that it was even a fumble. They clearly did not see the ball come out. At that point, if you're the officials, in my opinion, if you don't see the ball come out, you can't rule it a fumble on the field. And that to me is where the failure is because I did go back and watch the broadcast and you watch the replays that they showed on television and you could make the arguments, even though I still think you can see that his knees were down. You can make the argument that there wasn't a clear enough picture of the ball to determine whether or not it was moving before his knees hit the ground. And therefore you say the call stands. I'm still not sure that's the right call, but I can somewhat understand that. The problem is that they called it a fumble on the field, despite clearly not seeing it as a fumble on the field. And that's where the failure was. Uh, I thought it was a bad call. I thought it took what would have been seven points away from Syracuse. And I thought ended up having a big impact on sort of the way both teams approach the rest of the game. Yeah. I think that, Rutgers used that tactic of acting like it was a fumble, screaming, yelling, doing all the things that when a ref don't see it, that's where he goes. Who's the most excited? Who's the most that? You know what I'm saying? We learn that in the pros. If, if, it, if it looked like a fumble, portray it like a fumble. And that's exactly what they've done. And refs don't see everything. And I feel like they should have just kept giving them. If they, don't, if they don't see it, they should give it back to the offense. And uh, that's a bad call on the refs. Absolutely. Bad, horrible. You know what I'm saying? That, that messes up momentum. That messes up a lot of things. And really, that's a tactic. Like, our coaches always told us that even if the dude's knees down, you get the ball up, celebrate like it's a fumble. And that's what they took. That Ruckus probably made the most ruckus, and the ref said, okay, they made the most ruckus. I'm going to decide to go that way. Absolutely. That that seemed to be exactly what happened, that oh. the, 
the the officials fell for the acting job by the Rutgers players, and I guess uh, you know the Oscar goes to them for that. <laughs> so the other call, there was actually a call on the very next possession where Luke Benson got called for holding. And for those curious about that, I've got a video that I tweeted out on my Twitter account. If you go to my Twitter page and go to media, scroll down a little bit, you'll see it. But uh, Luke Benson ran up to a linebacker to attempt to block him, put his arms out kind of half whiffed, barely touched him. And they called that holding. Um, And that took a 12 yard run away from Sean Tucker, where, like I said, they would have been down around the Rutgers 25 yard line instead had a first and long and couldn't recover on that drive we'll but the other call home we'll get the home advantage man big yeah. 10 officials and it's yeah. it's ruckers and, and here's here's the thing about that because i i want to go to the other call that got the most attention which was the dino babers personal foul call um i've been watching football a long time shamarco you've been watching and playing football a long time I can't recall the last time, if ever, I've seen a football head coach get a personal foul called on him for something he said to an official. I've seen it when they bump into him, when they've made contact, because you're not allowed to do that. I've seen a head coach get a personal foul call when they've, uh, I think your former head coach, Mike Tomlin, might have done this. <laughs> his little foot out on the field foot when out. the Ravens were returning a punt or something. Uh, uh, Jones. Right. So, you know, I've seen situations like that where, where they've been called, though I don't think Tomlin was called for that one. But um, he got fined for that. He did get fined for that. Absolutely. So, but this was not that situation. Babers didn't make contact with an official, he didn't curse at an official. This was a situation where Greg Schiano called timeout. I went back and watched the broadcast and watched this whole sequence. Shiano calls timeout. He clearly makes the motion. He actually sprinted over towards the official, makes the timeout gesture with his hand. As soon as the official grants him the timeout, he starts screaming that he didn't call a timeout and says, I never made the motion. and I never said the word timeout. He did make the motion. I don't know what he said because you can't tell from that far away, but he definitely made the motion. So he's screaming for a good two or three minutes during the entire timeout at the officials who there's two officials that went up to him, let him scream at them the entire time. He was well out onto the field when he started screaming, backed up off back to the sideline, went back out on the field, back to the sideline. So he was clearly well out onto the field multiple times. And in addition to all of his screaming about how the, the referees were screwing him and they were going to cost him the game. He said at least four or five times, make it right. He said to the officials and he called the head official by name. He said, make it right, Ron, Ron, you need to make this right. (laughs) Right. So he, they're big 10 officials. He's he's head coach in the big 10. I'm sure he does know who those guys are because they've done his games before. I get that. But immediately after that, Mikel Jones is called for a personal foul for a body slam that offset a holding call on Rutgers on a third and long. If the body slam is not called on Mikel Jones, Syracuse declines the penalty. Rutgers has the long field goal to try to break the scoreless tie. And as we saw later in the game, the Rutgers field goal kicker was anything but steady. So the Mikel Jones body slam and it wasn't a body slam. I rewatched replay. It was not, but they called that <laughs> it offset with, with the holding. Right. So then Dino is questioning the body slam and he says something. And the second he opens his mouth, 
the official that's standing there on the sideline throws a penalty. It was very quick after they announced the personal foul call um, on Mikel Jones. And then they announced that that they called a, a personal foul on Babers. And instead of the offsetting penalties and replaying a third and long, Rutgers got a first down yeah. and scores a touchdown on the very next play. Um, I know you saw the play. You saw the sequence. What's your takeaway from, from what happened and, and how that all went down? What I always learned from Doug Marone, because that's the first thing he puts up every week. Know your refs, know your personnel. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, where they where did they come from? Big Ten. Know your personnel, know who you're talking to, and uh, you got to play the game. Uh, I feel like I don't know how coaches uh, do do at Syracuse, but that's first thing we always do every week. Talk about the refs, where they come from, what type of style they are, what's the most flags they call. That probably calls that flag every time against the – the opponents that's not in their division. And uh, coach got to be smart. I know it's not a right call. I know it's – but that's their game. You know what I'm saying? But some refs got favoritism. So, it's a call. But reality, know your personnel. Yeah, I mean, that that whole sequence – and I'll tell you, too, there's there's always conspiracy theorists out there, right, with officials that um, Oceano had – was in the pockets of the officials. He paid them off. And, you know, there's, there's going to be – that type of conspiracy. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Coming right. out early. You know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. <laughs> so there, there's going to be those type of conspiracies. And I tend to think it's it's mostly due to incompetence as opposed to, you know, there being some massive behind the scenes conspiracy to fix games. But it doesn't help anyone's cause that is trying to argue against that conspiracy when Shiano says, make it right several times. And then they throw two, we'll say highly questionable flags against the other team immediately after this wasn't five plays later. It wasn't half a quarter later. It was literally the next play and, and it impacted the scoreboard. It went from at worst for Syracuse, you're down three, nothing to you're down, down seven, nothing. And so you took seven points away from Syracuse early in the game with the fumble call you cost Syracuse four points there, giving a touchdown instead of a field goal, either four or seven, but at worst, four. You lost by 10. That's 11 points between those two calls. Oh, different momentum change, man. It, it changes how everything after that would have or could have happened. And again, this is not an excuse thing to say officials cost Syracuse the game, but they certainly had an impact on the way that that game went. And those two calls in particular – especially the personal foul on Babers. If I'm Dino Babers and I'm Syracuse, I'm calling league offices, whoever I have to, to try to get an explanation as to what happened in that situation. We've been through those situations, and it's, that's the difference between college and NFL. The coaches in the NFL are going to report it. You know what I'm saying? They're going to send a film and everything. I don't know how our coach, our coach at Syracuse is, but we got to take them type of things personal so they won't do it again or to the next team. Absolutely. You got to play the game so that hopefully it goes in your favor the next time around. So let's wrap it up. We'll get final thoughts here. I want to bring our uh, wonderful behind the scenes producer, Kyle, in here to get his thoughts on the game as well. Uh, We're going to make Kyle a internet sensation by the time we're done with this podcast. That's the goal. (laughs) So Kyle, we'll start with you. Your your overall thoughts on the game um, and where Syracuse goes from here. I mean, my overall thoughts in the game, firstly, I, I do want to be in a sensation. That would be awesome. Uh, uh, 
on the game, it, it feels like this team's identity is defense. And it's if the defense gets turnovers, we'll win a game. But if the defense doesn't give them anything offensively, we, uh, we're, we it feels like the offense has nothing to go for it. Uh, the O-line got destroyed. There was no helping them. We didn't run the ball for some reason uh, past the second quarter, past the first half. So it wasn't great. Where Syracuse goes from here is you give it – I know I've seen a lot of fans on Twitter shouting and saying, DeVito should never play in a uniform again. DeVito didn't have a bad game. He – you, I, in my opinion, you give him the keys to the car and you say, this is your team until you really screw the pooch. Like until you like go 0 for 20 on a, on a, in a game, like make mistakes, like please. Schrader hasn't done anything to earn the job. So you give it to DeVito, you give him and Sean Tucker the ball and say, just run around, figure it out as we go. And you go from there. You've got a weapon with Taj Harris. Luke Benton's a great tight end option. We never use him. I I don't know where we go past that, which is give DeVito the ball and say, have fun. But Babers seemingly won't do that. And, I mean, you brought the Eagles in earlier. I'll add in, I'm a Saints fan, so I'm used to refs screwing us over. <laughs> this, 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 this ain't anything new. This is, this is nothing new. The refs like to be the center of attention. They're, they're prima donnas uh, of football. So... I truly think they need to get back to the bases, get back to the RPOs. Y'all got a crazy, tough defense, man. Think about it. Y'all just stay to the RPO. It probably would have ran the clock out, get field goal with three points. Rutgers probably wouldn't even score, and defense would have hold it down. Y'all have kept the momentum. Like Common sense. Coaches panicked. They had like they was getting them blown out, and they had to pass the game, pass the ball the whole game. Reality, the game didn't even get no scores until the third quarter. So, why would why would you change? I feel the same thing. Give DeVito his opportunity, man. Like, give it to him. Let him run it. Let him be the leader. Give back to the RPO. Let Tucker tote that thing like he's doing. Like, if it works, don't stop, man. And your defense is going to handle their job. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll uh, add my final thoughts to wrap up this episode. Um, and we'll get a little bit more into the quarterback situation when we do our Albany preview episode, because I, ha- I have some thoughts there. I don't want to spoil that right now. So I'll save that for the next episode teaser. So you all want to make sure you subscribe, download and listen to each and every episode believe in Syracuse podcast. But I agree with you on the RPO. I do think they need to pick a quarterback and, and go with that guy. The whole if you don't have two quarter if you have two quarterbacks you don't have one I do believe in that, but I think the offense needs to help out the defense in that if the defense is going to be the identity of the team and that's the way it looks through two games, then the offense has to take care of the football. They turned it over three times I believe against Rutgers, and not put the defense in a bad position. Because if you force teams to have to go the full length of the field on this defense, they're going to keep you in games. They're going to have more opportunities to force those turnovers, and they're going to keep the score low. I don't think that this Syracuse team has to score 35 points a game to win. If they get over 20 points, I think they're going to have an opportunity in a lot of games this year, especially when you start looking at Boston College lost their quarterback likely for the rest of the year. Uh, Virginia Tech lost their most dynamic offensive player, their starting tight end. He's going to be out when Syracuse plays at Virginia Tech. 
Pittsburgh is, is a solid team, but they are never a team that's going to be significantly better than you and completely outclass you. Wake Forest is a team you can play with. NC State is solid, but that's a team you can play with. You look at the entire rest of the schedule, and outside of Clemson, there's not a single team on the schedule that you look at and say, man, they're probably going to beat Syracuse by four touchdowns. There's not. So you have to play to your strengths. You take care of the football. And this is honestly what Rutgers did to Syracuse. They played good defense. They took care of the ball on offense and they waited until Syracuse made the mistake and Syracuse made the mistake first. And that's what ended up turning the game around. So from a Syracuse perspective, get back to basics, trust your RPO, as we've harped on over and over again, trust your defense, keep putting them in good positions. And the last thing I'll leave you with is I understand the frustration. I understand losing, especially to Rutgers, who is a team that a lot of Syracuse fans hate. There are recruiting uh, rivalries going on there, recruiting territories. Those two recruit the same, the same prospects in the Northeast. I get all of that, but it's two games in. There are 10 games left. Let's not freak out. Remember, for those of you who are also Syracuse basketball fans, y'all freaked out when Syracuse lost a couple of games in early March. And then Syracuse won two games at the end of the regular season, won a game in the ACC tournament, made a run to the Sweet 16. I'm not guaranteeing that this team is now going to make a run to the bowl game, but sports are weird. Things happen. Things change. Teams get better. Teams find themselves. Let's see how it plays out before we panic. That'll do it for this week's episode, which was brought to you by Bet Online. Episode three of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, breaking down Syracuse's loss to Rutgers. For Kyle Leff and Shamarco Thomas, I'm Mike McAllister with AllSyracuse.com. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.